The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The following podcast contains explicit language. I, I grew up in a house where magic wasn't allowed, so everybody in here is, like, magical to me. Like, every time I saw a movie or Disney movies or heard your voices or saw you, I was like, oh, magic is from people. Like, we're the ones who kind of, in a weird way, tell a story or a lie to, to, to children so they do stuff that we never thought was possible. My dad used to tell me every day, like, you can do anything you want. And I remember thinking, like, as a kid in first grade, like, you're lying to me. But now I do stuff, and he's like, I didn't think that was possible, so. Welcome. This is Represent, and I'm Aisha Harris, and Donald Glover there, giving us all the feels. Donald. (laughs) I also, when did he become so fine? Like, Oh, come on. I've been on that tip for... No, I totally was just like, he is that guy that my, my good friend loved, Childish Gambino, before... I even knew who a Donald or Glover was. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't think he was Danny Glover's child. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I just thought he was like this weird, like nerdy black guy. But now... So Veryl and I I are in the studio right now. That clip you just heard is of Donald Glover uh, uh, getting his... giving his acceptance speech for his best actor win at the Golden Globes this past weekend. And yeah, that, that speech was just amazing and it makes me so happy to see mm-hmm. Atlanta get get the the praise that I think it deserves and also it's like it's the Hollywood Foreign Press Association yeah which like this is such an American show and not just American but very distinctly black American and Atlanta yeah show yeah obviously so just the fact that that was able to translate through it like actually it's funny a couple weeks weekends ago I was at a party for um, like a holiday uh, gathering with um, my boyfriend and we were at the home of a very a, of a co- prominent lawyer couple and they're you know they're very prominent and so they have a lot of money and a lot of the people who were there were older white actually a lot of older white women and I overheard one of them talking to another one about Atlanta and wow. like talking about how great it is. And it wasn't even like, it, I, you know, some people might say, oh, was she like trying to prove that she... Yeah, like, like they, did they, she see you out the corner of her eye? Yeah, no, no. They, like- <laughs> they, weren't, they weren't paying any attention to me. Mm. Uh, they were on the other side of the room, but it was like a small enough room and a small enough gathering where like I could like, while I was talking with the other people, I could hear them. I all of a sudden my ears perked up. And I was like, 
wow, this show has reached. Yeah. Like when you have an older white women <laughs> talking about how much they yeah, love Atlanta yeah, with yeah. each other and yeah. not with me. I was like, I mean, wow. Hannah Rosen on Double X, other show I produce here at Slate. Yeah. Um, loves Atlanta as well. Yeah. And she's an older Jewish woman, which I've said to her. She loves that. <laughs> and I love her for it. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, overall, the Golden Globes like was a pretty good night for black folk. Yeah. Like Tracy Ellis Ross winning. <gasps> finally, for blackish. That dress, too. <sighs> yes. Just everything about the way that she looked. And I, I thought it was interesting. Like, we just watched both their speeches back to back. And they both alluded to, like, magic. Like, just the idea of what they're doing. This possibility is magical. Yeah. On some level. Oh, it's giving me goosebumps right now. Yes. So, had to had to just call call back to that and talk about how wonderful it was to, to see that happen mm. on the Golden Globe stage. Barry one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Barry Jenkins, Moonlight Director. Yes, Barry. Ooh, Congratulations. So happy. So happy. Yeah. Anyway, yes, but we are here today to really talk about one of my another Oscar. Well, Oscar winner. Well, Oscar. No, she's an EGOT winner she's for the record. Yes. Oh, yeah, you were telling me this. <laughs> she, I did it. Okay, so I'm excited because Rita Moreno is one of my heroes, my legends, my personal. I've loved her since I first saw West Side Story when I was like 11 or 12. She played Anita. And we were lucky enough to get her on the show and talk about her new show, One Day at a Time, which is a Netflix produced or Netflix distributed show uh, produced by the great Norman Lear, who at 94 is like still kicking, apparently. Oh. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I'm excited to for everyone to listen to that conversation because she was, man, I tried so hard not to geek out. And I think, Verilyn, did I do it? Okay? You did a good job. Okay. I felt like I was in the corner just like cheesing the whole time, like remembering that you all actually have to say true words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was kind of hard for me. But yeah, Rita Moreno was, was so lovely and wonderful. And that conversation was really fun. And she was just very candid. Yeah. And great. shout out to One Day at a Time, you know, for being a sitcom. It's like such a callback to like the Fresh Prince of Bel Airs, the um, Family Matters. Even like I used to like Step by Step. Anybody remember <laughs> step the TG? By step, <laughs> like the day average TGI. <laughs> <Yeah. Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> the idea that you can have a sitcom that is mostly funny. It takes every opportunity to make you laugh, even if it's a cheap laugh. But also deals with some real stuff. But the but the thing is, is that it's not a callback. It's a callback to those shows, yes. But it's Norman Lear, so all of those shows mm. were taken from the shows that he did back in the day. Okay. And this is way. This is so topical. Yeah, because a friend of mine, I was telling her about one day at a time, and she was like, "Oh, I used to watch that." And I think I remember that you all were talking about that this is a remake of an old show. Right. So it's a remake of the original, which came out in the 70s. Um, And Norman Lear is he's produced like so many. He produced All in the Family. He produced Maude. Did he did the Jeffersons? So he he sort of was like the like the founder of the sort of topical sitcom that we have today. Um, The the episodes that deal with tough issues abortion racism sexism Mm. all those things and so with one day at a time in this remake they've updated it with a cuban-american family um the series is actually he's the executive producer but the showrunners are gloria calderon calette who is cuban-american and most of the the show is based off of her own experiences Mm. and then also mike royce and so um, my guy He's a white guy. Okay. Yes, but, I just feel like we should <laughs> we should say that. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. Um, 
But so the show centers around Penelope, who is played by Justina Machado. You've probably seen her on Six Feet Under. She's also done uh, other shows, appeared on other shows like Ugly Betty, even Jane the Virgin. And it centers around her. She's actually a vet, uh, a vet, a war, uh, army vet, army vet. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> she's actually an army vet. And she's a single mom who is estranged from her husband, who's also a veteran. And uh, she has two kids who are Elena and Alex. And she lives with her her mother, who is played by the lovely Rita Moreno. And Rita Moreno plays Lydia. And I love how they make her sort of uh, ditzy a little bit. Like, she's not the sharpest tool in the shed, at least in the first couple of episodes. Um, they kind of play up mm. a sort of... Not a dumb blonde thing, but like, because she's not blonde. But, you know, but she plays up that sort of persona. But I she's think also... it's just more like leaning into her like uber femininity. And but like still like all knowing, I feel like at the end of the day, she knows it all. Like there's that episode <laughs> where um, I don't know how much of this we want to give away. But when Penelope is like going on a date and. All of a sudden, um, Rita's character knows the number of the guy she's on a date with. That's me. Dear Lupe's friend, is her phone on silent or did you kidnap her? How does your mom have my number? I don't know. She knows it all. The mama knows best. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yes. Um, so yeah, there there's that family and there's like we mentioned, the show deals with like everything you could possibly think of. Uh immigration, sexism, the gender wage gap, coming out to your family, like every everything possible. Even like how do you talk to your child about porn? Look. It's totally natural for you to be curious about sex. If you ever have any questions, I want you to feel like you can come to me. (laughs) Do you have any questions? Yes. When is this going to be over? I mean, overall, it's like, it's definitely a cheesy, like, when you think of Norman Lear sitcoms, you, you also think they're very cheesy. It definitely has those moments, and some of the jokes can be kind of corny and predictable. But... The fat. I think what I love most about the show is is the way in which they the benefit of having being on Netflix is that instead of twenty minutes, you have thirty minutes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes with comedies, I think that can be a killer because then you feel like you have to have like all these jokes in one. I think like Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which is a show I really like, but I feel like can be very uneven, does not always benefit from the episodes being longer. Um, same with the the update of Arrested Development. Uh, when they did season four on Netflix, I felt like, oh, this is too long. Shorter is better. But with this show, this is this is a comedy and a drama. Yeah. It, it leaves so much room for moments, yeah. especially moments where, you know, usually on a sitcom and even in a normal year sitcom would like it'd be really, really emotional. But then it ends very quickly. But they have all this time to have like moments of silence and and, and moments where things are just happening so like the final the mm. final shot of the entire season which i won't give away yeah, but like they take beautiful. their time with that yeah and so that's just i think it's great in the the way that they do that and mix the the comedy and the drama and i think it it all of that makes up for how cheesy it is and and it's also just it's a fun it's show fun, and it's fun to see them dealing with issues that you've seen dealt with elsewhere but you've never seen through a latino 
person's perspective, mm-hmm. especially the army vet. Like that, there's an episode entirely with like where pretty much the entire episode is Penelope on the phone trying to get through to the VA mm-hmm. to to schedule an appointment, and she it, it just shows. I love that they were daring enough to like say the the VA is messed up. Yeah, the way that whole system works and the way like you can't get an appointment. Yeah, so. We highly, and I both Obviously highly recommend. Obviously, we like it. <laughs> In yes. other words, yes, we enjoyed this. Yes, and it's on Netflix. It dropped last a week ago. Uh, by the time this has aired, it'll be a week ago. So everyone should definitely check it out. So you do okay. This is like a, a conversation I was having with my friend. Do you think we're finally at the point where like everyone, for the most part, has access to Netflix? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I think so because. Friends, you can have you can be on a friend of a friend's. Like, yeah, I share my Netflix with my boyfriend. I know family, like I have family members who have who share it. I feel like most people they might not have Hulu, they might not have you know Amazon, Amazon Prime, or, but like yeah. Netflix is is it's so it's still so cheap that I think. Remember when it was like seven ninety nine? Oh, what? And now it's nine ninety nine. It's two dollars. Well, it was seven ninety nine. It got you the streaming, and you got a DVD in the mail. Right, but who watches DVDs anymore? I know, but I, just, I mean, I, I guess... just feel like it is a hurdle. It was a hurdle for me to jump. Like if it didn't, if I did, couldn't be on my parents' Netflix, which I admit that I'm on my parents' Netflix. Well, that's. I mean, yeah. yeah uh, look, I. I recognize the, the privilege that I'm speaking from where like I don't have to pay like two dollars to me isn't a lot. Um, but well, I guess at the point you're listening to this podcast on a smartphone, probably, ideally. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> probably. You probably have a Netflix account. Yeah. So, and yes. on, honestly, like I think there are I, I think most people if they have a way to find it. Like there, there are ways to find it, and it's usually through. Like I know a lot of like poor college students who, you know, they're they're still. I mean, I even used I think my parents like uh, since I cut the, not my parents. I used my friend's parents' cable <laughs> uh, thing to like uh, watch uh, stuff online. Okay. So yeah, everyone yeah. kind of has their connect. Yeah. But yes, just want to let you all know that we're thinking about that. Yes. So <laughs> if you can't find a way to watch it. I'm not really sure what to tell <laughs> tell you, but you should watch it if you can. Yes. Yes. So without further ado, here is Rita Moreno, uh, EGOT winner, who is not only known for West Side Story, but also for The Electric Company. You remember that? We were both too young. Or we, we actually, we were both not born yet. <laughs> when the elect- what is the theme? Is that the, so the Electric Company? No, 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 no. You're thinking of Schoolhouse Rock. Oh. No. Electric Company was um, sort of a spinoff of Sesame Street. It was under the same umbrella, but it was for slightly older kids who, oh. like, were already learning how, like, already sort of knew how to read, but it was about, like, context clues. You should watch some clips. It's Rita Moreno was in the original cast, also Morgan Freeman. What? And Bill Cosby. What? Yes. Oh, he messed it up. <laughs> I don't do Bill Cosby. All right, but you can find plenty <laughs> of great clips of Rita Moreno and and actually, there's a call, there's a brief shout out to, um, to her role on the Electric Company in One Day at a Time. When because she had she, so she, I don't remember what the exact moment is, but um, she, like one of her signature phrases from Electric Company was "Hey, you guys," and she says it at oh, one point on the show. And I was yeah, like, she oh, does that's... say that. I do remember that. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> without further ado, here's Rita Moreno discussing One Day at a Time, and also a lot of other stuff. We talk about. Her, her career as well. 
more broadly. It's a blur for me. Can't <laughs> wait to hear it. <laughs> that theme song. The theme song oh, is also ah so great. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Rita. It's a pleasure and an honor to have you on the show well, today. Well, I'm, de- I'm delighted for your interest. Thank you. Ah, well, so with One Day at a Time, it's been, it feels like it's been so long since we've seen you in a sort of continuous capacity in a show or a project like this. You guested, you did a few episodes on mm. Jane the Virgin, which I right. love, as the abuela, um, and you've done other sort of guest starring appearances. But this is sort of the first time in a long time we're seeing you in a like running big, part yeah big juicy role you, and she is juicy is she not she's so juicy the character i play lydia yeah lydia is she's amazing <laughs> she's bigger than life yes opinionated mm-hmm. vain beyond belief yeah uh a uh an unremitting flirt I yes. mean, the woman will flirt with a friend's post <laughs> she's shameless she is that that's what's wonderful about her she's big mm-hmm. she's big and actually that's something you have to be very careful about when you're playing big like that that you don't just don't go you know crazy right. being big so i'm glad always that our producers are saying oh, okay bring it down yeah bring it down you know like 10 percent <laughs> is so why you i mean you talked about what this character sort of means to you and why she's fun to play but like why why now? Why this role? I think, choose? first of all, I, I really believe that this show sets a new standard for Hispanic shows. Mm. Uh, at this time, I've seen a number of things that uh, I have been thrilled by. Obviously, I'm not going to name anything because um, people have their problems putting these things together, mostly out of ignorance of the culture. Mm. Uh, you may know a little bit about that. Yes, I do. <laughs> As a black person. So uh, one of the things that makes this really, truly special is that even though we're sometimes zany and certainly always funny, we the characters have depth. Mm-hmm. And that is so typical of Norman Lear. Actually, as some of the reviews have stated, they have more depth than they did initially with the original show. Yeah. Well, you have longer, too. It's like 30 minutes instead of having to cut it down oh, to 20. Imagine. Yeah. When I first saw the script, I, for the very first episode, I thought, wow, this script is awfully fat. They're going to have to cut a lot out. And somebody said to me, Rita, there's no commercials. It's not 22 <laughs> minutes. It's going to be a full half hour with no commercials. And mm. I thought, oh, that's thrilling. And that's what I think has given this show the opportunity to really deal with the char- characters in depth. And the balance that they have found, when I say they, I'm speaking of the writers, one of whom, by the way, is Cuban, mm-hmm. Gloria Calderon Kellett. And she's one of the showrunners. She's year. one of the showrunners yeah. as well, but also Mike Royce, who wrote uh, one of my favorite shows ever, Everybody Loves Raymond. Oh, I love Everybody Which loves is also Raymond. a family yeah. show. Yeah. So he, you know, he's so familiar with all of those, the problems that are implicit with just being a family. And Gloria added all the Latino stuff, which is heaven, mm-hmm. heaven sent. And the balance that's that's been achieved with being funny, being Latino, having moments of great and profound seriousness is very difficult to achieve. 
And, you know, it could only have been done really with, uh, I believe, with Norman Lear at the helm. This is the man who did uh, all these great shows. He did Maud. He did the Jeffersons. Yeah. He did, uh, oh, my God, it all in the family. I yeah. mean, you could go on and on. And as I recall, uh, all uh, uh, One Day at a Time lasted for years and years on television at the mm. time. But now it's a reimagining of that show, and it is, as you might know, because I know you watched it, you told me so. Yeah. It's hilariously funny. It's uh, my character is outrageous because she's bigger than life. Mm-hmm. I wonder why they cast me in that. I, I wonder. Know. It's just such a puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, we are all real Hispanics. We all speak Spanish in this cast. Yeah. And we speak. The, the one who speaks it the best of all of us is Marcel Ruiz, the young man, the boy. Yes. Who yes. plays a boy. He's fabulous. But the kids are wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's a great cast. And uh, it is just such a superb opportunity to enrich the lives of the people who watch this. Well, you mentioned, you know, that this is, we haven't, we've seen sort of all these topics being talked about more so today. TV is getting a little more adventurous. We're talking about sexism, um, ageism. Depression. Depression, mental health, even veterans. And you know, and but, let's not forget that our leading lady who plays the mother, I'm the mother of the mother, the grandmother, yes. is uh, is suffering from a certain amount of depression. Right. I mean, this may not sound funny, but let me tell you, you know, because you saw it, it's hilariously funny. It's 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 dealt with both in a serious manner, but in a funny manner. Both. And you have to actually both. Balance. And that's the fabulous balance that these writers and producers have found with this show, that they can actually talk about depression and the pills Mm -hmm. and at the same time be extremely funny when they need to be. Right. And we've seen that before, but we haven't seen it from, or at least the American, Americans haven't seen it from a Hispanic Here we have a Latina leading lady who was his veteran Mm -hmm. of the war in Afghanistan, which opens the door to so many different subjects, more than you might ever imagine. Yeah. I love it. That Justina Machado, who I think is absolutely brilliant, uh, has to go to a, a group therapy group at some point with other women yes. who've been in the Afghanistanian war. I mean, it's, it's so unusual and so different, and yet it's not exotically unusual. Right. One of the things that's really great about it is is the fact that you, with the mental health issue, you, t- you touch on the fact that within the Latino community seeking out therapy is not considered necessarily a good thing to no, do. No, you're a freak. Upon. But that, that seems to go across not just the Latino community, but it crosses culture. But, it, like well, you know, people, it affects the, yeah. the the mother of the mother, the grandma, who yeah. says, you're, th- you're thinking, what? Yeah. What does she call the antidepressants? I... You okay, Mom? Yeah. Here. Take one of your pain pills. I thought you don't want me to take las drogas. <laughs> well, the pain in your body is real. That pain in your mind is in your head. You you say, like, the only people who take it are, like, the Los Locos. The Locos, right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is what a lot of people in the Hispanic community think. Yeah. And for that matter, the black community as well. Yeah. They don't think that these things would be helpful. They think of them as, you are taking drugs? Mm-hmm. What is wrong with you? There's nothing wrong with you. Mm. But you yourself have been very open about mental health and, and your, your issues with it and you your attempt at suicide following your eight-year-long very tumultuous relationship with Marlon Brando oh you picked the right word 
tumultuous. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for you, was that something you went to therapy and you sought it out? Like, how did that change you? And was that something that you sort of had to overcome the fear of going to therapy, like the character in um, in One Day at a Time? Like, oh, I no, I wasn't. To- I, I wasn't thrilled about it. Yeah. But it, the very person who was causing me such horrible strife was the person who said, you need therapy, mm-hmm. Marlon Brando, yeah. which is kind of hilarious because he was out of his mind also. Mm. <laughs> but uh, it's the best thing I ever did, mm. the best thing I ever did, because I, I learned some very important lessons, one of which was uh, because I had real problems of feeling inferior mm. to the world at large. As a Puerto Rican who came to this country who was not exactly welcomed uh, at that time. And not that they're so welcome now, but it was in a way worse. There were a few of you. you Yeah, exactly. And and, um, uh, I learned the most valuable lesson I learned in group therapy, which my doctor convinced me to go into. And um, private therapy was that not being liked is not the end of the world. Now, that sounds so simplified, but not being liked was, my life was all about being liked and being approved of. And it started when I was five years old, and people were calling me spick and all that. I didn't know what that meant, but I knew that it wasn't good. Mm -hmm. And I knew at the time, I was convinced that it was not a good thing to be Hispanic. That took me, that's what sent me into therapy eventually, because it took me a long time to understand that I had value and I had worth. And that's where um, psychotherapy is so important in my life. Not being liked and also being treated horribly when you move to a new country. But you know, the problem is that even when you're liked, you don't even know you're not being, you're being liked. Hmm. Well, you yeah. get you get paranoid. Yeah. and, then, and I, So you don't take anything as a compliment. You become literally paranoid about yourself. I wonder if that's though compounded by the fact that you went into show business because that no no, no? you know probably mm-hmm. but I have to tell you that I started in show business when I was five in Puerto Rico mm-hmm. it wasn't formal then it wasn't formalized but I danced for Grandpa mm-hmm. and when Grandpa applauded and loved me for it I thought I like this very much yeah I like what happens when I perform so you know I was practically born to it i was wired Mm. that way yeah but when you're five i think it's maybe different from when you're 16 oh yeah and you're everything's different when you're 16 everything is difficult (laughs) when you're 16 anyway right it starts at 12 and 13 yeah yeah it starts Mm -hmm. very early when you start becoming sexualized and you yourself have talked very openly about Mm -hmm. your experiences of, of being young even despite not thinking yourself as pretty, you were still, you, you knew that men were attracted to you. So yes, that's, that's it's, it's such a contradiction in terms, yeah. isn't it? It's crazy. Yeah. And you don't know what the hell you're about. Mm-mm. It's so tough. It really is. I mean, I think it's it's interesting because I, I see these things sort of come together in your character, Lydia, where you have this sort of back and forth with your granddaughter, um, who is very, Elena, she is very... Very liberated, liberated. young woman. She finds the tiniest things uh, as a symbol of, like, the patriarchy and the worst possible things about it, and your character is very much like... Exactly. Well, I'm, I'm living another time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what is that wonderful line? She says something like, I don't want to be treated like chattel, like a cow or something. 
And I think Lydia's response is something like, well, some people like that, <laughs> which is hilarious, but it's also that time. Yeah. She's in a, at a time warp. Do you, do you feel that way in your personal life or in the way things are now, where do you think that women, to some extent, are maybe going too far in terms of wanting to be quote-unquote equal? Are we pressing too hard for um, women's lib in the way that she, Elena's character does? Or uh, uh, That's a good question because it, it's, it's something I hadn't thought about too much. Uh, I do think that sometimes we do press too hard mm-hmm. because if you want to achieve something, sometimes you have to go in through the back door. I, I, I'm sorry. That's how it is. Yeah. That's how it is. And uh, a lot of people aren't willing to do that. And I certainly understand it, but I also know what's going to work. Yeah. And sometimes, yes, you have to just, you know, swallow hard and come in through the back door and sneak in. And then, you know, ultimately speak your mind. Mm-hmm. But it is, it's a difficult situation and forever who doesn't want to do that, for whomever doesn't want to do that. I certainly understand, mm-hmm. but it's going to take longer. Yeah, I mean, that's a choice you make, mm-hmm. and that's perfectly fine, and it's perfectly legitimate and honorable. Mm. I mean, that's basically what what you did for your earlier career. Was in your memoir, you wrote about how you took the ethnic sort of fiery, sexy roles. Absolutely, because that was all and you boy, do. did I find myself in a hole. Yeah, it was horrific. Mm-hmm. All the things that I hated about being typed were the things that I absolutely encouraged mm-hmm. by the dressing the way I did by uh, I won't say by accepting the roles I did because there were no other roles yeah and I I really wanted to be a movie actress and that way I just believed with all my heart that someday somehow someone would say this girl has talent mm-hmm. and help me achieve some kind of success but um, it was tough yeah. I mean it was such a dichotomous kind of life. It was really difficult. Do you feel as though, even though you had to play those roles because you had no other choice, that in the end... Not you know, just some, re- some feminists would say, yes, you had a choice. You didn't have to do that. Right. You had a choice, but then... I look mean, at think, it- think of the struggles that the... Who was the woman who played... Um, uh, the black woman who played the mammy roles in the Oh, Hattie movie? McDaniel. Hattie McDaniel. Yeah. And she made a choice, and man, she got punished severely for that. And she said, NAACP really, really punished her. Yeah. Something awful. And yet, I can't see how the NAACP could could do otherwise in a way. They might have been a little kinder, but they were really hard on her. I mean, the way I look at it is that. It breaks my heart for her. I mean, it is very sad. But at the same time, someone like her or someone like you who took those roles in the end, it not only, I mean, at least more so for you than it did for her, it furthered your career, but it wasn't just your career that you were furthering. You were also telling other young young girls and young boys who look like you, you could do this. And do you, do you think in some way that you helped pave the way for these things to happen by taking these, not to say that you like sacrificed yourself or anyway, in, in any way, but- Well, I think it was a sacrifice though, yeah. playing those roles. It was definitely a sacrifice. And it is a choice that I made. Mm-hmm. But I was also a very simple and ignorant young woman. Of When I went into films, I was 17. Mm. I mean, that's a long time ago. But um, I didn't even feel that it was a choice. Mm. Uh, I felt that that's what was offered, and that's what I would do. Mm. Until I began to feel, wait a minute, I hate this. 
I really hate this. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. When did you realize you like, well, do you remember uh, what the moment was yeah, or what the role yeah, was? Yeah, I think when I was, um, let's see, I started movies when I was 17. And, you know, when I got to 18, I was not a happy girl. Oh, that was very fast. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I understood all on my own that what I was doing was not the best thing in the world for me. But here's the problem. I didn't know what the alternative was. Mm-hmm. I didn't do theater because most Hispanic people at that time didn't do. I mean, I did Broadway when I was 13. Yeah. And I did a couple of plays. But uh, it was a time when they did the same thing to you on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And actually, ultimately, Broadway is the place, or theater was the place where you began, were allowed to play something other than those uh, stereotypical parts. Mm-hmm. And it still is Broadway. Yeah. They, I mean, think of all the wonderful black actors and actresses who have done Macbeth and all kinds of things like that. Yeah. Who would have dreamed of that when I was a young girl? Yeah. It was not possible. Well... You know, West Side Story is one of my absolute favorite movies. I've watched it so many times. I think I saw it for the first time when I was like 10 or 11. You know, that's the movie that told a lot of young Hispanics and black kids, you can do this too. You can accomplish this. Yeah. And and then when uh, I got the Oscar and the Golden Globe, let's not forget. Mm -hmm. I mean, people like Jennifer Lopez and Andy, Andy Garcia, Jimmy Smith's, Rosie Perez said, wow, if she can do that, I can do that too. Yeah. I mean, this was seminal. I, I, I actually played Anita in my high school production of West Side Story with a terrible accent. And <laughs> at this point, <laughs> I kind of... everybody did. I know. With a terrible accent. <laughs> I modeled it after you, but then, of course, I, I'm not very good at accents. Anyone who knows me and see me try to do accents knows I can't do them. But... Um, it, I know that for you, in your memoir, you mentioned that Anita was like the epitome of the uh, like the great ethnic role. What is that to you? Like- well, you know, uh, uh, Anita, after all my years in films and all of the humiliating stuff that I allowed to happen in my life, became there were no role models for me. Yeah. First of all, let's let's make that clear. So when I went to Hollywood at seventeen. I had no role models. There was no such thing. My role model became Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah, you dressed up. She was my age and all that, and the hair and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Anita, after all those years, became, late in the day, my role model, a young woman who respected herself, who had a sense of dignity, who, uh, who liked herself, and who felt very strongly about who she is or was and uh it's it's almost ironic that not till then did i find a role model in a character that was in fact not real fictitious and played by you i mean obviously chita rivera had had originated the role yes she did um you took it on on the screen so did you did you feel that when you saw chita rivera first and then you took on the role, or was it sort of like becoming Anita? That no, I, I really became Anita mm-hmm. during when I auditioned for it, because uh, I had to audition in every way. I had to audition with the singing, I had to audition with the acting, mm-hmm. and ultimately with the dancing part. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a long and arduous uh, 
uh, road to getting that part. I worked my ass off, mm -hmm. to, and I wanted it desperately. And it was because this was a girl who had a sense of dignity. I really wanted that so badly. I feel like Lydia sort of encompasses all of that too as well. It's just an older version of Anita in some ways. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Especially there's a moment in one of the earlier episodes of the season where it's just you dancing for... With the castanets, yes. playing castanets. <laughs> yeah, I, that just brought such a smile to my face. It was great Apparently, to Apparently <laughs> it brought a smile to a lot of people's faces because they just didn't expect that. Yeah, yeah, it was great. And playing the castanets really surprised everyone in the cast and the writers because... Uh, my role is modeled on the writer Gloria Calderon's mom, right. who came from Cuba, with all that that implies, the stories of coming here, heartbreaking stories, mm -hmm. uh, without your parents, that kind of thing. But when she told me that her mom played cast in us, I said, wait a minute, in Cuba? <laughs> Seriously? She said, yeah, she was a Spanish dancer. I said, oh, my God, that's too crazy. <laughs> and I said, well, you'll be thrilled to know that I play the cast. And she said, what? Nice. You're kidding. I said, no. And, of course, her mom, who came to every single episode oh. shoot, was just, she's up and she's thrilled. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, and I have her hairdo. I have her hairstyle. <laughs> For my final question, I would like to know, when what was the last thing you saw um, on TV or in the movies or on the stage um, that you weren't involved in personally, involved with personally, that where you felt as if you saw yourself in a character, you felt represented? I haven't seen that yet. Mm. Not yet. Not even ever or no. just recently? As far as I know, you know, I may have missed some things, but yeah. I haven't seen that yet. Yeah. And I've also been asked, you know, what if somebody played you? And I said, no, I don't want to see it. Do it after I'm gone. I don't want to see somebody playing me incorrectly. <laughs> Thank you very much. Do you, do you think one, one A question to that, to that question is, do you feel, what's the biggest change you've seen between when you first started and now? Oh, the, the change of, is huge. Yeah. Uh, don't let any Latino uh, who's, who's still angry tell you that there isn't a change there is mm -hmm. there definitely is a change the door is no longer ajar it's uh, not open all the way but it's certainly more open than it was when I was in films mm -hmm. um, here's the problem and it's the challenge now you have we have we the Hispanic community have a pretty good presence on television but we don't have the roles yet mm. let me explain uh, Viola Davis said this so beautifully, and it's something I've been saying for years, which is that you can't get the you can't get the awards if you don't get the roles. Yeah. So while we have a much better and fuller presence on television as a Hispanic community, we don't yet have the roles, and those roles I think will have to come from Hispanic and Black directors and writers. And we don't have many of those. Yeah. Actually, the black community has more than we do. Yeah, and more than the Asian community. And Oh, yeah. well, the Asian community is almost invisible in some ways. In America, yeah, for In sure. America, yeah. oh, for sure. They play scientists a lot, which is interesting, <laughs> isn't it? Yes. Have you, have you watched <laughs> Master of None at all? No, I haven't seen that. Okay, yeah, that's like the rare occasion when there's not 
uh, Asian Americans playing scientists. Oh, it's great. that's they're nice. entertainers. Actually, wow. one of them is Aziz Ansari. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, we have a ways to go, mm. but uh, it's, it's it's certainly not true that we haven't things haven't improved. Mm-hmm. It, they have, and uh, I think that white people are really trying, on the whole, in show business, hard to make that better. But they still have a lot to learn. Yeah, they need a little push. I mean, I want to tell you that not only do we have a head writer that's his, uh, Hispanic on, on our show on One Day at a Time, but half of the writers, because, you know, they don't just do all this stuff by themselves. They have a, 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 a room, a, a roster yeah. of young writers. And uh, they're not only young, but they're Hispanic, they're LGBT. They, we have everything in our writer's room for this show which is why they're so familiar with the gay community. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really pretty fabulous. But I, I just really believe that only someone like Norman Lear can bring that together and make it work. We're so lucky. So lucky. So is the audience. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Rita, for it's coming on. It's my pleasure, and I, I love your interest in this. This was wonderful. It was such an honor. So there you have it. That was my interview with the lovely and wonderful and legendary Rita Moreno. It was such a pleasure to have her on. And she's also starting next week going to be doing some tour dates, a little concert and and lecture series. So we will link to that in the show page so you can figure out where that is and if it's coming to a town or city near you. And you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Megaphone, Stitcher, or any other place you find your podcasts. And please, if you haven't already... Go and rate us on iTunes. We really, really appreciate the support. Represent is produced by the lovely, awesome Verlin Williams. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Steve Lichtai. Andy Bars is chief content officer at Panoply. And we've been getting a lot of really great feedback on the show, especially our pre-woke watching segments. We hear you. We're so glad you guys are enjoying it. And we'd, lo- we'd love for you guys to keep sending us your comments and thoughts and all your criticisms as well. And you can email us at represent at slate.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Slate Represent. And the music you're hearing right now is performed by the sweet San Francisco funk soul band Midtown Social. Until next time.